Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. The meaning, the read-through, and the breakdown, and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Qur'an here at Qadam Institute podcast. everybody. Welcome home. It's good to see everybody back, alhamdulillah. Uh, before we begin, I wanted to uh, first make du'a. I know I get a lot of du'a requests from people for different things, and then usually because I'm running late, because I talk too much, um, I always forget at the end. And so I wanted to first start by asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant his, uh, his shifa to those that have asked for us to make du'a for those who are sick, and that Allah ta'ala grant his, his forgiveness and his mercy for those who have passed away. Uh, a lot of people come and ask, and I promise you, what I can guarantee is that I make du'a personally when I go home, uh, but I usually always forget at the end. So I wanted to start by with that tonight. The other thing that I wanted to also want to make du'a that Allah Ta'ala protects us all uh, from any storm or any difficulty that might be coming. I mean, Ya Rab, and that He protects us all from uh, airline ticket prices right now. My goodness. My goodness. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. Before we continue tonight, um, something that I read in another tafsir that I thought was amazing and I wanted to share with you. So we've been covering the story of Prophet Yusuf, peace be upon him, and we've gotten to the point where uh, the brothers of Yusuf have come in to receive or to get some of their provisions. And Yusuf alayhi salam, he recognizes them and now begins a really amazing and very interesting uh, plot and a good way on his behalf to establish a higher goal, which is to reunite his family. So we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but there's one thing that I wanted to share that I read that I thought was great. And it was from Ibn Ajiba in his tafsir. And you don't have to know who that is, but I just wanted to give credit to where credit's due, because I didn't come up with this, he did. I don't come up with anything, actually. I'm just a book report, that's all I do. Uh, but I thought it was really astounding, which is that, you remember the dream that the king had? The dream that the king had, the interpretation of the dream was that there were going to be a set of good years, and a, or a set of bad years, and a set of good years, or good years and then bad years, and then it would become good again, right? So there was going to be years of normal prosperity and then drought. And then there was going to be so much prosperity that Yusuf said, السلام, that they were going to be able to make uh, you know, oil. They were going to be able to press oil from all the crops that they had. So one of the, the isharas that was given, one of the points that was given, was that he said that this is how life works. He said that in life, nobody has it bad all the time and nobody has it good all the time. He says that there are times in life where things are normal, right? You're just kind of operating. There are times in life where things are really, really, really difficult. And then there are times in life where if you look around, you have to simply just smile and say, Alhamdulillah. And he said that the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows people to go through difficult times, and I wanted to point this out because it's important for us to realize and know that God does not take pleasure in people suffering. That's not the God that we believe in, right? We don't believe that Allah takes any sort of pleasure or happiness in seeing people in a difficult time. What we believe is that 
those moments and those times are times that are strategically given. They're designed in order to allow people to become what Allah knows they have the capacity to become. So every analogy I give goes back to parenting. And because that's pretty much how I live my life now. I just went to this Disney uh, immersive show downtown today. Right? Midday lunch break. And I'm sorry for the one guy in here who hates it when I talk about my kids. Uh, but that's a joke. That's a deep cut. Um, there was one guy who complained a lot that all I do is tell stories about Musa and Iman. And uh, so every time I tell a story now, I apologize to him. Just to see one guy get up and leave. Uh, so, but the reality is that, you know, today, literally just before I got here, um, my son was having a moment, a really tough moment, right? And he had been having, mashallah, a lot of good days, and today was just a tough moment. Why? Because I had to come here and teach. And he wanted me to play uh, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu with him, which is a video game. Uh, and I, I play with him almost every day for a little bit, but today I wasn't able to do it because we went and we had a family outing uh, earlier. And so he tells me, he says, you know, Baba, why, why do you have to go teach those people? <laughs> and I said, well, Musa, I actually, I don't. Like, I could just stay here, but then there's going to be a lot of people there, and, and, and they're going to be upset because they came to learn about the Qur'an, and, and Baba wasn't there to, to do anything. And he said, well, can't you just tell them that you want to play with me? <laughs> don't feel bad, by the way, right? My son, is, it's not like this is the first time he's seen me after years. We literally played this morning and last night, and we're going to play tomorrow, so he just needs to relax. <laughs> so, finally we get to this point, and you know, I'm running late, and like, we're getting to this point where I explain to him that, like, Musa, you just have to understand, Baba, that sometimes you can't get what you want, right? Sometimes you can't get what you want. And he just says, that's not fair, why do you make all the rules? I want to make the rules. And he's, he's just this very smart kid, but he's sick, so he can't control his, his mind. So at the end of the conversation, I told him that, Musa, sometimes in life you don't get exactly what you want, but it makes those times where you get what you want even better. So I said, tomorrow when we sit down and we play Let's Go Pikachu together, I said, isn't it going to be so fun? And like amidst the tears, he cracked a smile. Because he thought about, he like, he temporarily fast forwarded. I said, we're going to go and we're going to, you know, we're finally going to get Squirtle and we're going to get, get Mewtwo and like all these things. And he started like smiling. And I said, see, if we play all the time, if everything is always good, then there's no moments that we look forward to. And he looked at me and he absolutely did not understand what I was saying. <laughs> but maybe you do, right? And that is that. The droughts in life happen, right? The famines in life happen so that you appreciate the years of prosperity. If every day was prosperous, if every day was just blessing on top of blessing, then you would actually have nothing to look forward to. Your life would be as mundane and as boring as anything. And that ultimately is reserved for paradise. And even Allah says in paradise that things will not be the same level of prosperity every day, they will become better and better and better. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us that perspective. So it was interesting, the tafsir, he said that Allah prepares people for goodness by putting them through difficulty. And you see that if a person gets goodness before they've been through difficulty, they usually end up wasting it. They usually end up squandering the goodness.
we appreciate what we have when we lose or when we don't have it, right? SubhanAllah. Okay, so let's continue now. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through Yusuf's God-given ability of interpreting dreams, he interprets the dream of the king. And in interpreting that dream, he attains and he gets this state of position now. And Allah Ta'ala says, this is how we established Yusuf in the land to settle wherever he pleased. We shower our mercy upon whoever we will and we never discount the reward of those who do good. So Yusuf Alayhi the one thing that you can understand from his story, no matter what difficult moment he was put in, he never used the difficulty as an opportunity to discount his relationship with Allah. He never said that Allah didn't give me, so I'm not going to do my job. Every single moment he found himself in, he kept his relationship with Allah paramount, first and foremost. And Allah Ta'ala says that when a person does this, when they're able to remain steadfast and patient and persevere, that they will become established, meaning they will get whatever goodness they could imagine and far beyond that. But those of us who like negotiate with Allah, like I'm only going to do good if you do good to me, then we end up asking ourselves after like a decade of, of bartering with Allah, with our faith, we end up saying like, why doesn't Allah give me the things that I want? And the reality is, well, if you don't give him what he is asking of you, then you can't make any demands either. And so Allah Ta'ala says that because Yusuf stayed as a muhsin the entire time, in the well, he didn't become upset with Allah. In the prison, he didn't become upset with Allah. Every single time he turned back to Allah, that Allah Ta'ala says that, we established him in the land now as powerful as a person as could be. And he says that, and the reward of the hereafter is far better for those who are faithful and mindful of Allah. When people do good in this life, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala says that you will not only get the goodness of the next life, but you're also going to get the goodness of this life. The goodness of this life, by the way, when we hear that phrase, what do we think about? When I say you're going to get goodness in this life, what do you guys think about? Money. Money. Very good. Well, at least you're honest. MashaAllah, right? Money. What else? Money could be good or it could be really bad. Success? What do you mean by success? Anything you choose. You guys are describing Jannah. All right? Health. Okay. What else? No hardships, okay, sure. What else? Happiness, okay. All of these things are low-level success in this life. You know what the greatest success in this life is? The greatest success in this life is purpose. The greatest happiness and reward in this life is purpose, is knowing where you fit and fitting in that position and knowing, and knowing that no matter what situation I'm in, this is where I belong. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the gifts that He gives good, good doers, doers of good, is that they know what they're doing is good. There's no replacement for the feeling of when your soul feels satisfied doing something that you know you were meant to do. There's no replacement for that. A lot of people who are forced to do good deeds, namely every Muslim teenager, right, with salah or with anything, the one thing that is missing in that equation is the sense that this is what is, is satisfying to my soul. We, we, we try to satisfy parents and friends and elders and this and that. But imagine the feeling in Ramadan in the 27th night when you're sitting there and you finally feel like your heart and your body are aligned. You're there and you're tired 
and you could, you could want nothing more than to actually be in bed, right? From a physical standpoint. But spiritually, that's where you want to be. If anyone here has ever, has ever done Umrah before, and you arrive in Mecca, I don't know why everyone who goes to Umrah arrives in Mecca at like 11 p.m. I don't think they ever have arrivals like at like 7 a.m. So you arrive there, and I want you to tell people who arrive to Mecca at 11 p.m., you know what, guys? Let's sleep for a few hours. Like, let's make, let's make Umrah tomorrow morning at 8. Everyone go get a good night's rest. Beyond the fact that they're in a haram and that's a little bit dangerous to do, no one wants to sleep. No one wants to give up, right? You go to Medina and you check in at night and everyone's like tired. All of a sudden now everyone wants to go give salam to the Prophet Nobody wants to go to their hotel room. Everyone wants to do the right thing. So Ibn Atta'illah, he says that don't ever leave the fact, don't ever forget that when you do good, the reward for doing that good is that your heart takes pleasure in that. Your purpose is known. So many of us, like we wander throughout the world not knowing our purpose. And that's one of the greatest punishments. May Allah Ta'ala give us satisfaction of knowing our purpose. So when Yusuf's brothers came to him and they entered his presence, he recognized them. They didn't know who he was. When he had provided them with their supplies, he demanded that give me your brother on your father's side. How did he know about this brother? Well, because when they came, not all of them came, right? Binyamin and his father stayed back. So there's only these 10 brothers. And they collected enough supplies because there was a per person uh, transaction. How many people do you have in your family? Okay, this many? All right, we can give you this much. So in order to get enough for everybody, they told uh, uh, Yusuf, السلام, without knowing who he was, that yeah, there's, there's, there's actually, you know, there's the 10 of us, plus we have a younger brother, and we have our father, and we have, you know, this is our family. So they collected on behalf of everybody, but not everybody was present. So Yusuf, السلام, although he recognizes this, now he says, give me your brother on your father's side. I gave you what you asked for, I gave you all of the measure, I gave you all of the crops, but now you have to do something for me, prove to me that he actually exists. But if he does not exist, meaning if you don't bring him back to me, then you can never ever come back and ask for anything. And this famine is not a short famine, right? It's going to last for years and years. So they say that we are going to try our best to convince our father to let him come with us. That, you know, they didn't want to open up the, the, the chamber of secrets, right? As I like to call it. They didn't want to dig deep into what they had done, but they obviously felt a little bit of anxiety because... They know that they have history with taking their brother, one of their brothers, away from their father, and they have an idea that it's not going to go very well. At this point, Yusuf asked for something very interesting, and this is where the plot thickens. Okay? Yusuf ordered his servants to put his brother's money back into their saddlebags. So when they came to get the provisions, there's a small fee. There's a fee that they paid, almost like you know, when you, when you, uh, if you get a discount, like a big discount sometimes, you still pay a fee, which is like an operations fee. You're paying for like the cups or like the materials. So they had a small fee that they paid. So Yusuf commands one of his servants, hey, take the money that they paid us, collect it, and go and put it back into one of their bags. But put it back in a way where they'll find it when they return back to their family. Now Yusuf, salam, did this for a couple of reasons. Number one, the ayah tells us why. So maybe, لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ That maybe upon arriving home when they see this, they will think that, you know what, this, this, this minister, this agricultural minister, the one who's giving us all this food, 
you know, this was a very kind gesture because there's no way the money's going to make its way back into the bag. They, they, they're going to put two and two together. So some of the tafsir says that. Another tafsir says, yes, that's one of it. But the other thing is, they're going to go back and they're going to think, oh man, we have more money now to go buy some more crops. Like some people, when they get a discount on something, right, instead of just say, taking the money and saying, all right, good, they're like, let me buy some more. So they're going to become excited, right, that little two-for-one deal. They're going to become excited and they're going to say, let's go back. So when Yusuf's brothers returned to their father, they pleaded, oh, our father, we wanted to get more. And Yusuf, or whoever this minister was, they didn't know his name yet, he gave us a certain amount, but he promised that if we brought Binyamin, our brother with us, that he would actually give us more. So send our brother with us. Can you imagine the trauma that Yaqub is experiencing when he hears those words? Send our brother with us. فَأَرْسِلْ مَعَنَا أَخَانَا I mean, I can't even imagine as a father hearing those words after what they had, what they had done before. So that we can receive our measure and definitely وَإِنَّ لَهُ لَحَافِظُونَ We will watch over him. This is probably, I mean, the, the pain that he's experiencing, subhanAllah. This is also sort of a reality of life, right? Like once you go through something, you can't hide from it all the time. Sometimes part of growing up and part of experiencing life is being able to come to terms with and address head on the very things that cause you pain. You know, for some people it might be that they see their friends getting married and they're not married. For some people it might be they see their friends getting a job and, and they didn't get the job they wanted. Or having children and they're struggling to have children. The reality is when it comes to certain things in life, there are certain things you can do to kind of like dull the pain a little bit. But some moments you just have to come head on. You just have to deal with things head on. One of the scholars when he was talking about hasad, envy, he said that there's not a lot of tricks that you can do to conquer envy except tell yourself that this is enough. Stop feeling this. You can't play the mental math all the time. And sometimes in life you go through something and you have to, as a result of that experience, you have to just tell yourself like, this is what I went through, but now I have to keep moving forward. And no one knows that better than Prophet Yaqub. No one knows that better than the prophets themselves. May peace be upon them all. So Yaqub is hearing this. And he says, he says, should I trust you with him? Like, haven't we heard this story before? Should I trust you with him as I once trusted you with his brother? Are you guys seriously asking me this? Now I know if you go to like any parenting class, they're like, you shouldn't remind your children of their mistakes. Don't bring up their flaws, right? And so a lot of the new age parenting uh, styles, which some of which is accurate, but a lot of it would read this verse and be like, Yaqub salam, how could you remind them? This is guilt. You know, you're, you're, you're shaming your children, right? Man, I don't know, subhanAllah. The, the, the reality is that there are some conversations that just have to be had. It's not shaming. This is reality. He tells his kids that I trusted you before and it didn't go well. He says that, are you serious? You're putting me through this? But there's also another circumstance which the second part of the ayah brings up. But only Allah is the best protector and he is what? The most merciful of those who have mercy. There's a reality here and that is that their family is very poor. Their family is extremely poor. It's not a matter at this point of him wanting to send bin Yamin and choosing to. But all the tafsir says that this part of the verse indicates that he feels 
hopeless in this, meaning like he doesn't have a choice. He needs to send this son because they need the provision as a family. And so he's leaning this way. So then, subhanAllah, at this moment, the ayah says, when they opened their bags, when they had opened their bags, they discovered what? What did Yusuf put in there? Their money. They argued, oh our father, look at this. What more can we ask for? Here's our money, and it's fully been returned to us. Like, this is amazing. It's clear that this person has us in good favor. So now we can go back and we can buy so much more food for our family. So they're using this as a means to convince their dad. Like, look, this is our chance. Everything's lining up. They think that they are the ones that are winning this argument. But you know who actually won the argument? Yusuf. Yusuf actually won the argument. I just made eye contact with one of the guys in here whose name is Yusuf, as I said that. Yusuf won the argument. Because Yusuf knew, subhanAllah, that by doing this, it would be the thing that was needed in order to soften the heart of the father. The father felt concerned. Yaqub, he felt scared. We don't have enough provisions. I'm going to have to send my son. Last time I did this, I never saw my son again. And so Yusuf, in his prophetic genius, was inspired by Allah to put the merchandise or the wealth, whatever they had bartered, back with them, almost as like an implicit gesture. Like, you're, you're in good hands. And Yaqub, see this is one thing that's interesting. The more that a person's heart is pure, is close to Allah, the better their intuition is. You guys ever had like a gut feeling? Not gas. A gut feeling. You ever had a gut feeling and you, you either followed it and you felt, you felt happy that you followed it or you ignored it and you regretted it? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. So you have a gut feeling. And they say this. They say that even like, for example, parents have really good intuition, like a mother's intuition. Or they say even, I've actually, I haven't heard father's intuition very much. <laughs> but let's just say fathers have good intuition too, right? The point being is that that is, you could call it intuition, you could call it, you know, whatever you want to call it. But some of us maybe believe that that is what we call, you know, tawfiq from Allah. That Allah is giving a person clear understanding of a situation. But those understandings are not given to the hearts that are covered in rust. There are some decisions that we make in life, and we hate ourselves for making those decisions. But we almost seemingly can't stop ourselves. And there are some decisions in life that we make that are like really smooth and easy and it just seems so common sense to us and we are like, alhamdulillah, like that was just, that made life so easy. In those moments, one of the things that the scholars mention is that the cleanliness and the purity of the person's heart will give them clear understanding of what to do in those moments where they don't know what to do. So Yusuf is a prophet, Yaqub is a prophet, right? May peace be upon them both. And so they're almost connecting on this level here. They're connecting on this. They're understanding. Yusuf sends the money. Yaqub witnesses this. And now his heart starts to soften. They say, now we can buy more food for our family because we have our merchandise back. We will watch over our brother and obtain the extra camel load of grain. This is what it was. One person, one camel load. That load can be easily secured. All right, ready for this? Yaqub insisted. I will not send him with you until you give me an oath. Until you give me an oath. A lot of people in here are like, just say wallah, get it over with. <laughs> right? All of you from Arlington. No, I'm joking, right? 
This is, this is not the kind of oath that we take lightly. By the way, let's first say that we should never take an oath by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name. You should not get in the habit of doing that. You should really only reserve it and preserve it for very serious moments. I mean, like, you know, there are, uh, <laughs> there are some of the dumbest oaths I've ever taken in my life by the name of Allah that made no difference. But because, again, you're young, you're immature, you say these things, right? Say, Wallah, LeBron's better than Kobe. <laughs> it's like, relax, Hamoudi, Wa'il, right? You know, it's the most Arab names I can think of. Okay, so, we have to be very careful. Why? Because when you take an oath by Allah, you're not calling upon something insignificant. You're calling upon the creator of the heavens and the earth as a proof that what you're doing is trusting, trustworthy. I don't think LeBron versus Kobe deserves that. Right? And it is Kobe over LeBron. So, so, hey, relax. So, he says, I will not send him with you until you give me a solemn oath by Allah that you will return him back to me. Unless you are totally overpowered. Look at this beautiful, I mean, prophetic parenting. He's like, I remember what you did. And it's not something small. I remember this. I'm willing to give you another chance, which again, he doesn't have to do. But then he says, I'm expecting that you keep your word, but then he submits to what? The qadr of Allah. Unless you're overpowered. And I will tell you, the greatest way to stop being so disappointed in life is to learn how to submit to the qadr of Allah. Many of us are experiencing disappointment at such a frequency that it starts to like ruin relationships, it starts to ruin our trust in God. The real issue is that we need to just remind ourselves, Allah does what He wills. Look at what He says, man. He's saying that, bring my son back to me unless Allah doesn't will it, unless you're overpowered. Essentially what He's saying is, unless there's another destiny at play. Then after they had given Him their oaths, He concluded, Allah has, witnesses, Allah has witnessed what we have said. Allah is a witness to what we have said. So you know the brothers are definitely feeling it right now. Now Yaqub starts to give his advice. He instructed them, O oh my sons, do not enter the city. Don't enter from one gate. Rather, he says, Enter through different gates. The scholars have given us a couple different ways to understand this, which are very interesting. The first is that they say there was a lot of guys. That's 11 dudes, 11 brothers showing up and walking into a city center. So it could be overwhelming. It could look intimidating. Okay, so number one was to appear less threatening, split up. Don't all of you walk in 11. And they were, according to the tafsir, they were all built well, and because they were the brothers of Yusuf, they were all noticeably handsome. Okay? But the second interpretation, the second reading, which could also be part of the first, right? They don't contradict. And this is what Ibn Abbas said. Ibn Abbas said it was as a result of Yaqub trying to protect them from what? Nazar. Hasad. Ain. What is Ain? What is Hasad? For those of you that just lost your wudu from fear. What is Ain? What is Nazar? 
I do not believe that no one knows what Nuzzer is in this room. Are you afraid that if you answer, people are going to Nuzzer you? Huh? The evil eye. Okay, good. Well, bad. But the evil eye is bad. But good answer. The evil eye. The evil eye. Some people think this stuff is superstitious. Some people are like, oh, it's not real. No, the Prophet said that the evil eye is true. What is the evil eye? The evil eye, in order to understand it, is basically an evil dua. It's like a, it's like a non-verbal evil, it could be verbal, but it's like a non-verbal evil prayer made against somebody. And typically it's done motivated by some sort of hasad, although it could also be done motivated by just a willingness to hurt somebody and destroy somebody. Okay? So there's a couple things that I want to share with you about this. Number one is, when it comes to ayn and hasad and all that, Everyone lives their life completely and totally petrified that they're not on the receiving end of, of hasad. Have you guys ever in your life been told by parents or relatives to not do something because of hasad? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've been told not to do something. Okay, so look, I'm not going to make fun of that because Yaqub here is doing the same thing. Okay? Although sometimes it gets a little bit much. But this is something serious. So I'll, 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 I'll jump in with you here. It is serious. Should you be a person that is careful? Absolutely. And in this era of social media and of everyone looking at each other, it's almost better to not share than it is to share. And I'll share with you personally. If you follow me on social media, first of all, if you do, unfollow me immediately. <laughs> if you do, I used to share stuff about my family a lot more openly, like a few years ago. And then I was sitting with a good friend of mine who has since passed, may Allah have mercy on him. And he told me, he just said, protect your kids. And protect your family. And I remember looking at him being like, okay, like, is this like, are you telling me to go to the gym? Like, what is, and he said, just protect them. And our conversation was talking about social media. And I remember being like, are we, are we switching topics here? And I picked up very quickly that he wasn't talking about physical protection alone. He was talking about protecting them from being exposed or constantly sharing them. And it hit me when I went to Ikna and Musa came up to me and he goes, Baba, why do all these people know who I am? And I remember being like, crap, you know? And I understand everyone loves and has the best in their heart. But this kid was like legit kind of weirded out. Later he loved it. He's like, I'm famous like Mr. Beast. I'm like, no, <laughs> you're not. You're not famous at all. First of all, Baba's not even famous. If you want to go meet someone famous, Sheikh Omar Suleiman lives in Valley Ranch. We can go. When my daughter saw him for the first time in real life, funny story. We watched the Jannah series in Ramadan, like everyone did or should have at least. If you haven't, you should. And she goes, is that Allah? And I was like, no. <laughs> She's four. Relax. She's four. Crazy, crazy questions. Is that Allah? No. Is he in Jannah right now? She's like, is, is Sheikh Omar in Jannah? I told them all this, by the way. I, I WhatsApped him immediately. Is he in Jannah right now? And I said, no. She goes, where is he? I said, well, that's just a really nice room. I couldn't explain to her, like, you know, CGI. So I was like, this is a really nice room. By the way, props to the Yaqeen editors, mashallah. My daughter literally thought Sheikh Omar was sitting in Jannah. Okay? So then my wife and I are like talking, and I'm like, you should just take her to Valley Ranch for Juma. Like, it would blow her mind. You know? And so I, I'm going to bring in the picture. So my wife says, it's, it's like Juma and, and, and 2 o'clock. We pray here at 2 o'clock. But I think Sheikh Omar was giving the 1 o'clock uh, there. So at like 1.45, I got this picture of Iman, and she's just like... <laughs> And I go, what's that? And she goes, she just met Sheikh Omar Suleiman for the first time. And like he shook her hand and like high-fived her. And she was like fangirling, literally. Uh, which, alhamdulillah, it's better, it's better Sheikh Omar than, than, than others. 
Uh, may Allah protect him. May Allah protect him. So, but I will say this. I will say this, right? All that is to say that these moments of sharing, whether you're like an Islamic teacher or whether you're just you're somebody that lives your life and posts stuff, and you, you have to be careful with the amount that you share. And the one question I ask, and I don't want people to be paranoid. Don't look around and be like, you know, reading Ayatul Kursi to your friends instead of giving salam, you're like, Allahu la ilaha illahu to try to battle each other's potential hasad. That's not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to teach us to be smart. And I want you to ask yourself, when you are sharing things that are very personal, like family, like children, like personal news, is everyone that has easy access to this. Of course, news spreads, you can't control it. But I'm talking like easy access, like tapping a red circle around an icon of your profile picture. That's easy. Is everyone who has that access going to pray for you? Are they going to say, MashaAllah, Allahumma barak, tabarakallah? Are they going to actually... Don't shake your head. I don't want people to be like, no. I got, you know, I got some ops in my followers. Like, that's not what I'm asking for. But, but think to yourself, when I share this piece of information, can I guarantee that people will feel motivated to ask Allah to protect this and preserve it for me? And if the answer is, well, I don't know, okay, or yes, or this and that, but if the answer is, this piece of information, this thing, may in fact cause someone to feel a certain type of way, then you have to be smart. As my mother says, don't test people's ability to be patient. Like, everyone has patience, but we all have soft spots. Don't test someone's ability to be patient. My mother always used to say as well that don't be the best dressed person at a wedding. She said never be the... Omar, Omar, he used to walk and when he, when he, saw, he saw a cute baby, he took some dirt off the floor, some clay, some sand, and he just wiped it on the baby's face. All right? Half of you are petrified. Why would you do that? Half of you who are going to be like the granola mom type are like, that's great. You know, there's a lot of nutrients, a lot of iron in that. <laughs> right? Skin carotene. Omar Khattab is dropping the... He did this, and then the parent looked at him and he said, your kid is so cute that I'm trying to add like some blemish. Some blemish. Just so when people see this kid, they're like, what's that blemish? And they don't like start to succumb to their lower evil or parts of their, of their envy. Okay? So I'm sharing this with you because, number one, Yaqub is doing this as a wise father. Now, can envy instantly, automatically, without any, without, destroy your life? No, of course. Allah is more powerful than envy. Allah is more powerful than the envier. Allah is more powerful than anything. And it's not the case that as soon as a person feels envy, it, but if a person continuously exposes himself to this concentrated you know, onslaught of hasad over and over and over, and the one doing it is completely committed, meaning that they are aware and intentional, then yeah, absolutely, there is a chance that a person will be able to have an effect on other people. May Allah protect us all. That's number one. Okay, so take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Don't be a person that's constantly showing out and flexing, right? Do things to make sure that you keep parts of yourself private between you and Allah and those who will pray for you. But number two, on the other side of the coin, is we don't want to operate in a constant state of fear of being envied. Rather, we also should be very fearful of being the envier. 
Like we're not people that are completely secure from that. Like we also have our own sensitivities and vulnerabilities. The Prophet ﷺ, he talked about envy as being a thing to be worried about, but he talked about envying as being way more concerning. So he said, if you fear being envied, read this, read that, make wudu, pray, ayatul kursi, athkar, mu'awadatain, that's it. The Prophet ﷺ said, just do this, call it a day. Get on your dhikr, get on your azkar al-sabah al-nasa, pray your salah, make dua to Allah to protect you, read surah al-falaq, read surah like that. He said, just do this. But when it came to being an envier, the Prophet ﷺ said it's going to eat up all your good deeds. It would destroy all your good deeds. That's a lot more intimidating and scary of an assessment. Why? Because envying somebody is one of the worst things that a person can do. Not because of who you are, but because of who you're disagreeing with. If I envy somebody, it actually has nothing to do with the person. I'm disagreeing with Allah. Allah is the one that gave them what He gave them. Why am I upset about that? I shouldn't be. So Yaqub is instructing his kids, make sure you protect yourself. Make sure you take care of your reputation. Make sure you take care of your, the way that people see you. Optics. It's very important. Oh my sons, don't enter the city through one gate. Rather, do it through separate gates. I cannot help you against what is destined by Allah in the least. Amazing. He's like, do your part, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. Subhanallah. If you're like overcome with, with, with anxiety because of things like hasad, just remember this. Yaqub is saying what? He's saying that at the end of the day, we, can't, we cannot run away from what Allah has destined for us. And whatever Allah has destined for us, whether it be something that we like or don't like or somewhere in between, it is ultimately what is good for us. And we rely solely upon Allah. It is Him who decides and in Him who I put my trust. And it is Him that the faithful should put their trust in. Okay? You guys are hearing the words of a father that's scared. This is, these are the words of a father that's handing off his other son to a group of men. They're old. To a group of men that lost his first son. He's handing, he's handing him off. And he's like, almost verbally reminding himself that I put my trust in Allah. Allah is the one who the faithful put their trust in. Sometimes you have to talk yourself through a situation. And this is what Yaqub is doing. When they entered the city as their father had instructed them, this did not help them against the will of Allah whatsoever. It was just a desire in Yaqub's heart which he satisfied. He was truly blessed with great knowledge because of what we had taught him, but most people have no knowledge. What does this verse mean? Let's read it one more time. When they entered... When they entered, as their father had instructed them. They did what they were told. Yes or no? Yes. yes. This did not help them against what Allah had destined for them. Okay, so what does the person say in their mind, in their consciousness, when you do something and it doesn't work? What do you say? Huh? Why did I even what? You're smart. You must be a dentist. <laughs> she is. <What? laughs> she is a dentist. I know, that was the joke. Okay. <laughs> Uh, when I talk to Medium, I always cover my teeth. Uh, so, yeah, the first thought a person has when they do something and it didn't work is what? Why did I even bother? Why did I even bother? You know what this is? This is the sign of a result-oriented person. Result-oriented. All I care about is what happens. As opposed to someone who thinks about the process, right? Result-oriented people, 
they have missed a huge truth in their life, and that is that you don't control the results. You don't control what happens. All you control is what you do. That's it. You can't control everything else. You apply for the job. You either get it or you don't. You propose. Either it works or it doesn't. Right? You try. It either does or it Like, subhanAllah, that's life, isn't it? But interestingly, if a person operates with that framework, why did I even try? Then you know what happens? The next time, if they let that thought come in, the next time they lose the process and then they get the same result, but the person has not done their part and so they cannot submit to the will of Allah because now they're always thinking, but what if I did do my part? So part of becoming happy with Allah's destiny is doing your part and forgetting about the result. Like if I keep, if I keep operating from, a, from a, a state of fear that if I do this and it doesn't work, if I do this and it doesn't work, no, do it and forget about if it works or not. That's how you become happy with Allah's decree. Because you say what? You say what? I did everything I could. So they listen to their father. Because if they didn't listen to their father and it happened, then what does their father say? What does he say to them? You should have listened to me. If you listened to me, then it would have been different. It would have happened. It would have this, or it would have that. They listened and now it happened. So now when they go back to their father and they say, you know what? We tried to avoid being noticed. We walked in through different gates. We even kind of like, you know, didn't come back together right away. But dad, it happened. Then the father, in this case, a prophet, right? Of course, he's going to feel this. But the father can say, this is it. This is what Allah has decreed. And sometimes I'm telling you this. I know a lot of people in here are younger than others. Let me, let me give you a little sneak into the future, a little sneak peek into the future. In life, sometimes the one thing you need to know is that you tried. That's all you need to know. You're going to be rejected so much. It's not personal. I'm not trying to offend you. Things are not going to work out a lot. But if you don't let them work out, but also don't try then you're going to be living a very painful existence of self-doubt. It's going to be very painful. You're going to lose sleep over it. But as long as you do your effort and then place your trust in Allah, something magical happens. You almost stop caring about whether or not you get what you want because you've done your part. So he says, they entered as their father had instructed, but this did not help them against the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whatsoever. It was just something in Yaqub's heart which he satisfied. He just needed to say it. And he needed his children to listen. Because now, what else is satisfied? Maybe there's a little bit of trust being regained now. Right? As a father, last time you did this, I told you something, you didn't listen. Can you listen to me now? They did it, and they listened to their father. He was truly blessed with great knowledge because of what we had taught him but most people have no knowledge. This is something from divine decree that he was given, that you do your part and Allah controls the result. When they entered Yusuf's presence, he called his brother aside and he confided to him that I am indeed your brother, so do not feel scared or distressed about what they have been doing to you. So this part of the verse, some tafsir they mention, some tafsir they mention, that this was proof 
that just like Yusuf was being harassed and picked on and made to feel left out, that his brother Benjamin, because they were, they were full brothers from the same mother, that they were also picking on him as well. So he basically, to summarize, Yusuf and Benjamin lived horrible lives in terms of their bullying and harassment. So now he says to Benjamin, and the tafsir says that they were kind of in a small gathering where people were talking and eating. He calls his brother, and now you, I want you to imagine Benjamin. He's so young that he doesn't really understand or know how Yusuf might look like. So he goes up to Yusuf, and all he knows is that he had this one brother that his father loved so dearly. And it was his only full brother, and he never met him, really. From being a young child, he never actually got to grow with him. So now he comes up to the, the minister of agriculture, and he thinks it's an important thing, and he says to him, it's me, it's Yusuf. I want you to imagine what he feels. And he's like, don't worry. What they've been doing to you, all of it's done now. All of it's done now. But man, wait till you see what happens next. When Yusuf had provided them with the supplies, he kept his promise. You bring your brother, I'll give you more. Okay? He took what was called a siqaya. Siqaya is like, it can be translated as like a, 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 a golden glass or a bowl. It's some sort of like decorative uh, dish. He put that, it was from the king's court, into Binyamin's bag. Into Binyamin's bag. I know a lot of you guys are like, it was in his bag, oh. No, it's not like that, right? Or he was in his bag. He put it into his bag. Then, as they were walking out, they noticed that the cup had gone missing. Because they said in the tafsir that they used it for measurement. They were like, where's the measuring cup? It went missing. So the caller called out that one of you must have stolen it. Come back. Those who just left, come back. One of you must have stolen it. They turned back, and the brother said, what's going on? What do you mean? What have you lost? Why you... They had no clue. It was Yusuf who snuck it in. They had no clue what's going on. The, the herald, or the person who was in charge of the security, along with guards, said, we have lost the measuring cup of the king. Whoever, whoever brings it back, I will guarantee that they will get their grain. Bring it back to us. Tell the truth. Come back. Yusuf's brothers replied that we have no knowledge of this. We didn't come here to do this. We just came here for food. We're not trying to steal anything from you. So they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They genuinely think they don't have it. Yusuf knows where it is. He's staying quiet the whole time. Okay, and we'll talk about why that is. Yusuf's men asked, Okay, before we check your bags, since you're so confident, if you're lying, what should we do? That's the worst, isn't it? You guys ever grow up and your parents were like, you tell me your punishment. And you're like, God, this is the worst, right? If you're lying, what should we do? Yusuf's brothers responded and said, okay. By the way, I want to know why they went this hard this fast <laughs> with punishment. <laughs> like, they could have probably chosen a few things on the way to this resolution. They said, the price will be that you will get to enslave the one whose bag the cup is found in. A bit much, right? You could have done like, we will stay and work in the kitchen for a few weeks. You know? That is how we punish the wrongdoers, right? This is the system, that you get to keep them. Okay, 
If, if, but again, they were really confident they didn't have it. They had no reason to believe that whatever punishment they imagined, and sometimes you do that, right? When you're confident, you say the most outlandish thing because you just know that it's not going to come true. Okay? Then Yusuf began to search their bags before that of his brother. Binyamin himself went to his own bag and he pulled it out. This is how Allah Ta'ala says, we inspired Yusuf to plan. He could not have taken his brother. He couldn't have just said, I'm keeping your brother. Right? Under the king's law. There was a law in Egypt that any non-Egyptian could not settle there in that way. But Allah had so willed it, we elevate and rank whoever we will. But above those ranking knowledge is the one who is all-knowing. Alright, let's talk about this for a second. Because this happens twice. And I want everyone to feel at ease with this. Yusuf salam has placed two things in the bags of his brothers that seemingly feel a little bit, I'm not going to use the word dishonest because that's not appropriate and it's not true, but it seems like he's plotting, like he's making moves. So first he puts money in the bag of his brothers. That's explained easily. He's the, he's the minister. He can decide who he gives money back to or not. He collected the money and said, you know what, keep your money. That's easy. But now, he frames his youngest brother, Binyamin. Okay? And who is this going to cause a lot of pain to? Let's go down the list. First of all, Binyamin. Like, in the moment, do you think he's afraid? Yeah. I mean, he just met his brother after 20 years. And now he's like, oh man, like, this is not good. Okay, so Binyamin's probably frightened. Who else is going to be hurt? Let's, let's, let's go in order, guys. All right? Everyone's trying to go to the right answer. I get it. The brothers. The brothers are... De- you know why? This is crazy, though. <laughs> they are, they're scared because they actually did everything right. They, they literally listened exactly to their father. And things still aren't going to go the way they expected. But you know what's crazy? Who has been living his life that way his entire life? <laughs> Yusuf's like, welcome. Welcome to doing everything right and still being tested. Right? Like sometimes you get your first test and you're like, how could this happen? And you look at somebody and they're like, I've been living this. Right? But look at how, look at how strong Yusuf is as a result of all of this. Look at what he's become. Right? He's testing his brothers with the very same test that he had to go through, subhanAllah. And of course, as you guys have mentioned, Yaqub is absolutely going to be devastated when, he, when he's, the return of his sons again and the thing he feared the most happens again, which is that his beloved son won't be, be returned back to him. Okay? A lot of pain, yeah? A lot of pain. Is pain bad? Well, relax. Some people jump the gun. You're like, no, pain's good. <laughs> right? Pain is laziness leaving the body. Right? Is pain good? Do you guys want to be in pain? Do we like pain? Does Allah tell us to be in pain? Is this something? No. But is pain sometimes worth it? Does that mean that good and bad are relative? Because you look at this and you're like, this is pretty bad. This is bad. Everyone's going to be hurt by this. Bin Yamin, the brothers, the dad... Everyone's hurt by this. But what's happening as a result of this? Well, number one, Binyamin has been in a really dangerous situation his whole life. His brothers have been harassing him, picking on him, 
Lord knows how jealous they are of him. If you can imagine, like, the amount of love that Yaqub had for Yusuf, and now maybe all of that's being directed to Binyamin, who knows? So now the pain that's being caused is actually a relief for Binyamin. Not everything bad that happens in your life is bad. Not everything that's uncomfortable or causes you discomfort is actually something that's against you. In fact, sometimes a person has to go through that discomfort in order to attain the relief that they're looking for. Binyamin, more than anything, wants to be safe, and now he's safe. Okay? Yaqub loves his son, but he's afraid for his son. And the brothers are not to be trusted. They've already, mistrust, been, they've already abused their trust one time. So now Binyamin, as interesting as it sounds, is actually the most safe he's ever been. But it's going to cause his dad some pain. And then what happens at the end, I'm not going to ruin it for you guys, no spoilers. But maybe, just maybe, this last bit of pain will be the reason why Yaqub is reunited with his other son, Yusuf. So the point of tonight's passage that we read, and Yaqub said it over and over again, is our job is to do everything that we can. Our job is to do everything we can. I don't want anyone walking out of here tonight saying, Allah's got it, I don't have to do anything. Right? Did you do that? No, Allah will take care of it. I don't want to do it. No. Our job, do everything you can. But at the end of it all, just like Yaqub said over and over again, Allah will handle this. Allah will handle this. Whatever Allah has decreed will come to fruition. Whatever Allah has ordained will happen. It's just like that quote from Al-Hasan al-Basri that was on everyone's Tumblr 10 years ago. Right? They asked him, how did you become so religious? How did you become so pious? And he said, I became convinced of two things. Whatever Allah has destined for me, no one else could get it. And whatever Allah has not destined for me, there was no way I could get it. Just become comfortable with that. Just live in that. Whatever Allah has decreed for me, no one else is touching that. It's not going to nobody. Whatever Allah has decreed will not be mine. It doesn't matter how many nights I stay awake. It doesn't matter how hard I work for it. It wasn't meant to be for me. Right? At the end of your effort, you have to say, Tawakkaltu ala Allah. I trust in Allah. Hasbun Allah wa ni'mal wakil. Allah is sufficient as the one who I put my trust in and my faith in, and He is the one that will take care of everything for me. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us trust of Him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to have trust of Him with the least discomfort. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us those who, when we are put in positions of difficulty, we see his plan before we see our pain. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the ability to always have beautiful patience. We ask Allah Ta'ala to always give us the perspective to be able to realize that Allah Ta'ala is always working for us in our favor and always giving us things that were beneficial to us. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to, every moment that causes discomfort, that it be a moment that clears us from sin, that purifies us from our mistakes, and that takes away any accountability that we have on the Day of Judgment so that we can meet him free of any guilt free of any record against us amin amin ya rabbal alamin wa sallallahu ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira